We're going to be going to Romans 12 that was read. But as I'm prone to do, we're going to look somewhere else too. Because I want to send you on a search of your own. So first of all, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 and then see the connection between that and what we're looking at in Romans 12. Um, I first titled this, The Love of God Flowing from the Gospel of Grace. We've been spending time recently uh, on various aspects of the biblical revelation concerning love. And on today, which is uh, Lord's Supper Sunday, we are being reminded of God's love for us. He's not left us to wonder what that looks like, right? And nor has he left us in the Word of God uh, without information and direction as to what his love through us looks like. So the Christian life is about the love of God to us, the love of God flowing through us, all because of this gospel of grace. You're very familiar with uh, the verses there in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So I'm not going to read all of those verses. I'm just going to show you something. And you search this out on your own. I think it will be a great blessing to you. Um, in, Roman, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we have a three-point summary of the entire book of Romans. You ever thought about that? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we have a three-point summary of the entire book of Romans. The first three chapters of the book of Romans starts out detailing the lostness of the human race. Everybody. Very, very strong words, very stunning words. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 gives us a concise detailing of the lostness of the human race. Now, if you've never faced up to that personally, I don't see how you could ever possibly claim yourself to be a Christian because only lost people need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of the lostness of yourself and the lostness of humanity as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and the first three chapters of Romans. Well, then in Romans chapter 4 through 11, there's a long section unfolding the various aspects of the gospel of grace. You'll be dealing with wonderful things about justification, propitiation, redemption. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, a concise core essence of what the gospel does, the difference that the gospel makes. And finally, in Romans 12 through 16, the Holy Spirit gives us a great variety of the good works that flow from those who are saved by the grace of God. And guess what? In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we are his creation, created unto good works, which God has before ordained 
that we should walk in them. So the first 11 chapters of Romans gives us the gospel foundation that empowers Christians in the way that we are to live and to talk and to think, uh, the way that we are to behave in a variety of situations. And looking at it from that angle, there's something we must not miss. And this is, this is something where a lot of people have missed the gospel and they open the Bible and they are trying to live by a mere system of biblical ethics. Biblical ethics are good. Uh, but the Bible does not call us to embrace a mere system of ethics or to uh, tighten up and, and embrace a mere system of morality. All of these chapters that talk about the things that we are to do, to be, to think, and all of that has to do with being an overflow, the result of the life of God in the soul of man. This is new creation stuff. So the lifestyle of the Christian in Romans 12 through 16 is the result of divine creation. This is not a lifestyle that you're going to walk in apart from God being in you by his Holy Spirit. It's not natural to us. And, and Ephesians 2.10 sums it, Everything in Ephesians 1 through 10 is all about what God does. And he sums it up. We're his creation. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. His creation. This right here is a a hymnal happens to be a Baptist hymnal well who's the creator well there is no one creator there are people who wrote hymns there are people who went into the forest and cut down trees there are printers there are publishers there's a whole bunch of people and say we created this hymnal and there are lots of people when it comes to salvation they want to at least take a little bit of credit for this new creation. You ain't got none. He alone is the creator. He is the author and the finisher and the all in between of salvation. Hallelujah. What a savior. Praise be his name. So we're created into good work. So the real Christian life is the living out of the life of God in the soul of man. We are now his holy temple by the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We are living out in daily life a new life that comes because we are blood-bought and Holy Spirit indwelt. Blood-bought by the precious blood of Jesus, Holy Spirit indwelt. You'll never be the same. You're not all that you shall be, but you're not anything like what you used to be. You're transformed. God lives within you. You're a walking miracle. And because of that, we're motivated. We're highly motivated to live differently from the world. And so as we look there at, at Romans chapter 12, we'll actually start earlier in verse 2 and he says that uh, we're not to be conformed to the 
world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say unto you, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so we're going to talk about the working out, how the Spirit of God has come to dwell within you and will work out in very practical ways. And, and one of the first things right out of the starting gate is to think soberly about yourself. A lot of people go from one pendulum to another in how they think about themselves. Some people are very proud and arrogant. Some people are very just bent over and uh, have what is called low self-esteem. And with no ridicule to anyone but just facing reality. In most cases, low self-esteem is a problem that comes out this way. I feel this way about me. But in my opinion, people don't feel that way about me. And so I feel bad because people don't think I'm as good as I am. No one would ever say that. But the reality is, we're upset about how people feel about us. And we could go into the other extreme as well. Uh, you just don't know how great I am, let me tell you. We're, taught, we're called to think soberly. What would make us sober about who we are? The cross. We're coming to celebrate the death of Christ on the cross. The only thing that could deliver us from the penalty of sin, which we have justly deserved, is the price that Jesus paid at Calvary. Think soberly about yourself. Don't just think badly about yourself. You can't think bad enough about yourself to somehow impress God that you think bad enough about yourself that he'll have pity on you. Salvation is not by pity. Salvation is by a price, a supreme price that was paid. We do need to think soberly. I'm a sinner. And I need God. I need redemption. I need someone to satisfy the wrath of holy God. I need propitiation. God's holy wrath to be satisfied. And Jesus did that on the cross. And so, now, in verses 3 through 8, the natural overflow is ministry in a local assembly of saints. We are divine creation, flooded with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at some of the ways that this outflows, that this, how this looks on paper, you might say. Especially verse 9 through 16 gives specifics of what God's love looks like in and through the Christian. The love of God to you, the love of God through you. Not only are we thinking soberly about ourselves and we have various and sundry gifts in the body of Christ, but we are to be without hypocrisy. We're to be sincere, verse 9, first part, not fakes. The second part of verse 9, we are to abhor 
what is evil and hold tight to what is good. The Holy Spirit will give discernment. You, you, because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and because of devouring the Word of God, you'll have discernment. Is this something that is evil? I'm to hate it. Not to hate the person, I'm to hate it. Hate the evil. And I'm to hold tight to that which is good. Love has discernment. And then in verse 10, the love of God in us calls us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love one another with brotherly affection. We came from the same womb. Sometimes we will be, you may have had a situation like that where uh, I was at a conference out in California and I met James Bell. I wasn't looking in the mirror, I met James Bell. And he obviously was a brother from another mother. His skin was very black. And we had wonderful fellowship in Jesus Christ. And so we might sit here and say, well, I'm from out west or I'm from south. And, I'm, and I don't have any blood connection with anybody in the auditorium. In Christ, we have serious blood connection with everybody in the auditorium that is born again. We are brothers and sisters from the same womb. We're divinely empowered and motivated to love one another. Motivated by love. To receive one another. If you have a spirit of rejection toward a brother or a sister in Christ, you are way off bounds. Repent. God's spirit is a spirit of reception. God's spirit is a spirit of, you say, well, we don't agree on every jot and tittle. You think all those first disciples of Jesus did everything just right and, and, and they were on the same page exactly with Jesus on everything and, and therefore Jesus got along with them? He started loving us when we were yet his enemies. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to love one another. We're divinely empowered for that. And in verse 10, we're to outdo one another showing honor. We're to give honor to one another. Uh, hold each other in a place of respect. No looking down your nose at one another. In verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The love of God is not lazy, but it's enthusiastic. It's willing to get involved in the lives of others. These are certainly not days for half-hearted disciples who sort of serve the Lord if nothing else gets in the way. Or if everybody dots all of my I's and crosses all my T's. The love of God, in verse 12, rejoices in hope. Is called to be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. This is how God's love manifests itself to us and through us. This is the practicality of the love of God. Rejoicing in hope. Things may not be hunkadory right now, but in Christ I have hope. 
Not wishful thinking, but I have assurance. My sins are forgiven. I have heaven to look forward to for all eternity. The love of God is generous, verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. But before I can do that, I've got to have my eyes open. I've got to look into the eyes and hearts and faces of my brothers and sisters. Is there an emotional need? Is there a need for encouragement? There may, may be a need to, on some occasion, to open up the pocketbook and help in that way. But it's not limited to that. The love of God rejoices in hope, contributes to the needs of the saints. Verse 13, the latter part, the love of God will seek to show hospitality. We're only doing what God has done for us. We're doing to others what God has done for us. I can't just be limited to my special friends and don't care about the rest of it. Listen, we're a small congregation. I want us to make a commitment to one another. A year from now, and that's being way generous, we ought to know each other a lot better than we do now. I could ask different ones of you, and you could not go from row to row to row and tell the names, much less anything about. Now, we have special friends, and we spend special time with, but, and uh, we have different gifts so far as what we can remember, but shouldn't we do more than just, saw, oh, I saw the back of the head, I don't really know them. How can we pray for one another? If we don't spend a little time getting to know one another. If we don't take time to look in the eyes and face of one another. And, 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 and in some cases you may have the ability to open up your home. Or to arrange showing up at a restaurant at the same time. So many ways. The love of God is sacrificial to the undeserving. Now we've stopped meddling and we're, now we're going to. We've stopped preaching, and now we're going to start meddling. This, this gets pretty serious. Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Do not curse them. Think about it this way. Our enemy can be a Christian who hurts us, in our opinion, or fails us. Whoever our enemy is, you know what they really are? They are a gift from God to us. We're called to be walking in the steps of Jesus who lived his whole life among enemies. He never got bitter. He forgave. He laid down his life. None of his opposition, none of those who failed him or betrayed him, none of them ever hindered Jesus from having a spirit of joy nor did they hinder him from accomplishing the will of the Father for his life here on earth I want to give myself and you some good news there's not a person on the face of this earth other than yourself other than myself who can hinder you from doing the will of God who can steal your joy who can make it impossible for you to do God's will. Now, if that's not true, we're in a heap of trouble. All we are is pawns. And we can do nothing about it because we have no control over 
other people. We would like to control them. Forget it. Some of you dear spouses have tried your hand very persistently and nicely at trying to change and control your mate. Want to have any testimonies on how, how, that, how well that works? <laughs> dear people who love Jesus and love one another fail at that journey. The people who we see as those in opposition, they are gifts from God. They can't hinder us. They're the ones, some, some have been called, they're God's pallbearers. They take us to the place of dying to ourself that we may serve the Lord more significantly. The love of God in and through the Christian shows sympathy. Verse 15 Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Love gets involved. Many of us are too busy to be involved. We have our own agenda. My agenda must include brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of a body. What if the members of your physical body did not take concern for the other members? Have you ever been trying to go somewhere in the middle of the night and you stumped your toe? Not just gently, but hard. And the rest of your body said, I don't care. I'm not the toe. Not in my body. And not in yours. And the truth of the matter is, is this verse is true. When one rejoices... We've all got reason for rejoicing, and we should rejoice, and when one weeps, we all should weep. Can't stand on the sidelines. We can't be like the football player. The team, team B was getting beat badly, and, and the people in the stands kept crying out, give the ball to Calhoun. And every play, the defense would just totally smother Whoever had the ball and the cry kept coming out, give the ball to Calhoun. And finally up out of the heap, Calhoun yelled out, Calhoun don't want the ball. (laughs) And that's the way we are. We don't want the ball. You know, it can be painful to be involved in the lives of other people when you're bearing their burdens and you're sharing their joys. It's not easy, but it's rewarding. To lay your head down at night and to know that by the grace of God, you did what Jesus asked you to do and leave all the results with him. Now, all of these things are, are uh, not suggestions. It's God's word. Verse 16, we're to live in harmony with one another. Well, Lord, I'll accept that, but not now. Hmm. These are not suggestions, ideas, they're commands, but not merely commands. They're commands of the love of God, which has already flooded your heart. It's how love works. This is, we have to quench and grieve the spirit not to walk down a road of creating and or enhancing harmony. If I'm not creating or enhancing harmony, 
I need to check where I am in my relationship with the Lord. The love of God shows humility. Verse 16, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Now, in verse 17 through 21, this is where it really gets serious. The Holy Spirit teaches us that the Christian response to being wronged is to do right toward our enemy, leaving all vengeance to God. Our, de- our desire should be that our enemy would come to know the same mercy and grace that we have come to know at the cross. That takes a work of grace. It, don't, don't sit here and say, oh, that's hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our desire should be, the desire we should cultivate is that our enemy would come to know the same mercy and grace that we found at the cross. And so rather than responding to the evil done against us with vengeance and more evil, we respond with the radical love of Christ. Jesus said in Luke six twelve, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Romans twelve seventeen. never pay back evil for evil to anyone. When we used to go down to Dayton, Tennessee, uh, a particular way you go and you drive through a, an unincorporated community that's called Evansville. I've always wondered who named that town. And that's, that's human nature. Except we don't want to get even, we want to get one of that. Were you ever in the playground and playground and someone hit you and when you hit them back, you didn't hit them as hard? No, you hit them a little bit harder. And so it escalated and before, after, before long, somebody's crying. Really mad. Never take your own revenge, beloved, verse 19. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. If it was not possible to overcome evil, if it was not possible to be able to not be overcome by evil, the scripture would say so. He says, do not be overcome by evil, which means I don't have to be overcome by evil. If I'm overcome by evil, that's my choice. If I'm overcome by evil, it's not because of the amount of evil you dumped on me. If I'm overcome by evil, that's my choice. Anger. You made me angry. That's why I did. No, 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 no. And most of you know that I have this great history of having kicked the stove, hit the thermostat dead center, cursed like a sailor, like a curse down on the farm, when the cow stepped on my foot in cold of winter. I was in extreme anger. I'll let you worry about the rest of it now, uh, later. But all that was on my plate, none of that made me angry. I chose to get angry. And so after church, if y'all want to, and I know you don't, 
And even if you did, if you huddle, we're going to huddle and come up with a strategy to make the pastor angry. And so you come, and I'm not going to name who your spokesman might be. Might make you angry. No, I can't make you angry. But you come up with something, and you dump it on me. You cannot make me angry. Now, what am I not saying? I'm not saying I won't get angry. But if I get angry, that's my choice. It is so glorious that in the gospel, we are free from being a pawn. We are free to serve Jesus if nobody else does. We can overcome evil. And 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.15, See that no man repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Romans, uh, Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only the word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. The right response when we are wronged is to do what is right. And that's what Jesus always did. And that's what he is in us by the Holy Spirit to empower us to do. We do it as an act of worship to Jesus, not because the person is worthy. That's always a roadblock. But they're not worthy of it. You you don't understand what they did. That's not the point. The point is whether or not I want to honor Jesus. And there is no other point than to honor Jesus. Verse 18, if possible, as far as it dwells with you, be at peace with all men. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. Oh, so you don't just stiff lip and I'm not going to get angry and I'm not going to repay evil for evil. But you're going to repay evil with good. Overcome evil with good. That requires supernatural indwelling by the Holy Spirit. It requires submission to the indwelling Holy Spirit to respond to wrongs by doing what is right. Some of you have a tough road. You're in a very difficult situation. Long-term situation. Where evil is dumped upon you. God is not after you. God doesn't hate you. God loves you, and he's saying, come to me, child. Walk in my steps. Leave everything else with me. You may still have tears, but you'll have the peace of God that passes all understanding. When you fail, acknowledge it, get up, and walk again. Get alone with God. Open your Bible to Romans 12, 20, and 21. Apply it to your situation and cry out for the grace of God. Doing what is right may not change the other person, but it will transform you. Doing what was right didn't make a lot of people happy with Jesus. They crucified him. But he never lost his purpose. He never lost fulfilling the will of God. And now for all eternity, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That's what awaits you, child, not to be in the place of Jesus, but that kind of eternity with Jesus.
Peace should be our aim, but doing the rightful will of God is what we must do. If possible, live at peace. But by all means, do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that what the cross is all about? Isn't that what we're celebrating at this table? Let me say again, who is my enemy? The enemy, my enemy, is any person God uses to reveal my weakness, my need. And so if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him to drink. Feeding the enemy or giving him to drink represents the kind deeds that you can do to meet your enemy's needs Deeds often speak very loud. During the war, uh, some war in Armenia of years past, this was in a Daily Bread devotion book back in 1981, a Turkish soldier pursued, pursued a young woman and her brother down a street, and he cornered them, and he mercilessly shot the brother let the sister go free, but she had to witness the brutal murder of her brother. Years later, she was working as a nurse in a military hospital. The war was still going on. The same Turkish soldier had been shot, the one that shot her brother. He seemed to be at the point of death. He was critically wounded. She was assigned to care for him. She recognized him. She wrestled in her spirit with a desire for vengeance. She could have just let him slide through the the system and not tended to him and he would have died and no one would have said anything to her. And she would have gotten her revenge to some degree. But she realized that the Lord wanted her to treat this man with kindness. And so she nursed him back to health. It doesn't always happen this way. She did the right thing. But in this case, the man was well enough one day to say, Ma'am, why didn't you let me die? He knew what he had done. She said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and he tells me to love my enemies. She wasn't just preaching that, she had lived it. She laid down his life that he might live, in a sense. He said, I never knew that anybody could manifest such faith. Please tell me more. So a wrong response To being wronged is to pay back the wrong with wrong. The right response is when you're wrong as an act of worship to Jesus to do the right thing. After you've responded to wrong with the right, you leave it all with Jesus. He'll take care of the settling up if there's any that needs to be done. So our calling is to bless our persecutors. 
We could be in America moving close to a time where we're going to need this more than we know. And do right toward them. I, I do get fearful sometimes and I, I, I fear my own heart. There's a, there's a growing anger in our nation. People are armed to the hilt. As if the most important thing as a Christian is to see how long I can stay alive no matter who I have to kill. I'm going to protect my goods. A lot of questions there and I don't have all the answers but I do know this. We're called to walk in the steps of Jesus. And we've got 2,000 years of history. And for the most part, well we might not have ever heard the gospel had there not been those who've gone before us who are willing to lay down their lives rather than see how many lives they could take. Bless your persecutors. Do right toward them. If they refuse to repent, you don't have to seek revenge because God will take care of it. Just keep walking in the steps of Jesus. Well, these are just a few of the things that's in this chapter. It helps us to understand the practical nature of how the love of God overflows in everyday situations, in extreme situations. And you might look at all of this and say, well, I have to make a confession. I have neither desire nor power to walk in such a path. If that is your true confession... That means you're not a Christian. That you have desire and power and step on you, stumble down and fall, but you get back up and you, you know what God's will is and you cry out, oh God, I want to honor you. That's a good sign that you know Jesus. If you're here and you've never been transformed by the love of God, flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. If you're here and you've been transformed by the love of God and you're coming to celebrate the most profound expression of his love for you, I'm sure all of us have areas where we need to repent. Not just now, but for the rest of our lives. Because we want to please Jesus. And we need these remembrances to remind ourselves of what price he paid for us that our sins might be forgiven. We're going to stand together in a moment and Bradley's going to lead us in a wonderful hymn that will speak to us along the lines of this message. So let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. We ask, Father, for grace to hear the word of the Lord. We thank you for the profoundness of your word. It's not just an exercise in enjoying a message or... Uh, getting some new information, but a time to sit and to receive your word and to be transformed more into the likeness of Christ. And we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.